0: Welcome to episode one, my name is Matt Simon. I'm going to be talking about synesthesia and the creative process. So synesthesia is basically a cross-wiring of the senses. If you hear a sound, you may see a color, or if you see a color, you might hear a sound or taste a smell. This is rare, but not uncommon. Uh, Some estimates, around 4% of the population have this. And generally, people who have this are drawn to the creative pursuits, Uh, lots of musicians, especially artists uh, and filmmakers. I'm a musician, but I consider myself a very visual person as well. So when I listen to music, I basically, in my mind's eye, I see lots of shapes and colours. Silence for me is black, so when the song starts it's black, like a black canvas, and then when the instruments come in, shapes and blobs appear like an abstract movie that's uh, moving shapes in my mind. They seem to be fairly consistent, so if I hear one sound, it produces a colour, and then the next time I hear it again, I'll hear the same thing. If there's a lot going on in the song, like lots of notes, lots of instruments, then my mental picture will be much more busy. If it's uh, a more quiet song or very little going on, then there'll be less going on. It's a bit like if you imagine a black stage and actors are wearing black and some of them have neon stripes and colours on them. If they're moving around really fast, the colours would move fast and if it was slow or larger things, then um, they would move so accordingly. Some people attribute different colours to different notes. Um, when I started learning music, it was from a teach yourself recorder book, and the first note was G, and that was given a blue colour. And the next note was A, which was red, and then the third one was B. So I've carried those notes through. They had um, C, I think, I can't remember what colour that was. E was a brown, uh, I think D was purple. So when you, to make it easier to read the notes, they were in colour... And then gradually these are phased out so then you're just properly reading the notes. The F sharp by the time I think it was a black, um, so that was just black. So I've kept the G, the A and the B as my reference points. For me C is a yellow colour, D is grey, um, E is slightly different yellow to the E and then F is, is sort of a rich brown colour. Also Uh, If notes are flat or sharp, that affects it. The brightness is perceived to be brighter for the sharps. So G is a blue, and then G-sharp is a slightly shinier blue. G-flat is slightly duller. It's got some grey and some browny greens in there, a kind of autumnal forest floor. A is a bright red, like a fire engine red, and then A-flat is a slightly more pinky, flushed colour. A-sharp isn't really used a lot. Um, morally people, even if it's in a key of sharps, they'll consider that a B-flat So A-flat is just a kind of, it's a bit of red there, a bit of black But most people don't like to think about an A-sharp B is quite a bright green A B-flat is more of a bottle green um, So lime, um, jade colour for the B But the B-flat is more like a bottle green And then keys I perceive as duller as well. So G major is sort of a bright key that's based around the key of, or the note G, so that's blue. But then G minor is like a dark, stormy midnight C. So there's like quite a lot of black in there and a bit of white for the crest of the waves. So it's like a dark blue with some black in there. D major as a scale or a key, it's got the F sharp in, uh, which is quite bright, and the C sharp, which is yellow. So it's got a bit more colour and sparkle, whereas D minor, it's like a concrete colour. It's grey, there's a bit of blue and red from the G and the A, which are significant notes, but it's like concrete, housing estate, it's quite a dull uh, grey character, that one. If you do this sort of thing as well, I'm sure that your colours are different to mine, it'd be amazing if they were actually the same. Interestingly, um, keys which are technically the same are perceived differently. So a G sharp is the same note as an A flat. Um, so G sharp, there's lots of sharps in there Which um, is perceived as brighter But then A flat would be a duller, warmer sound And lots of orchestral musicians prefer to play in uh, keys with lots of flats in If you have lots of sharps or flats it's more difficult than a few or none But generally a lot of players prefer the flats um, But for guitar players the instrument is favoured towards the more sharp keys So, um, And generally with the guitar it's more of a brighter sound as well but an orchestral instrument, like um, a brass instrument or woodwind, they want more of a warmer sound. I know a brass can be very piercing, but you want a warm sound on that. Maybe that's why. My frame of reference here is Western classical music, because that's what I grew up on and I'd be interested to talk to people who grew up in other parts of the world with different musical systems. So some keys were considered nicer or brighter or darker than others, and this could well have been down to the technology available. There's not much reference to it um, from medieval periods, but from the classical periods, um, composers considered some keys to be of different um, aspects, like e flat, with its three flats, was considered a very noble and heroic key, and D minor was actually considered quite sad, and also that was referenced by Spinal Tap. Lick my love pump, it's in D minor, which I always find is the saddest key. So, pianos were tuned as well as they could, basically, because digital technology was not available then. So, if we take a C note, and just for illustrative purposes, let's consider that vibrating at 100 Hz. So that's 100 vibrations a second. The octave up, a C, is double that, so that's 200. And then in the middle, a G, would be 150 Hz. So this is the octave and the perfect fifth, exactly mathematically in between that. Now, from the C up to the G, there's seven steps and from G to the C, there's five steps, so that's unequal. So what we've got there is the mathematical difference in the frequencies between all the notes is not quite the same, and that's just in the key of C. And then obviously in a piano you want to use different keys, you want to use G major, D minor, all these other things. So their frequencies would be slightly different ratios, and it was basically a best guess. And some of the notes didn't turn out too well, and these were known as wolf intervals. And some keys, the more rare ones, say like F sharp, the intervals wouldn't be quite mathematically perfect on this setup, so they would sound a bit weird. So they might consider some keys, just because their technology available was a bit weird and they sounded a bit off and a bit out of tune, say in F sharp, that they would consider that a slightly spicy key and maybe would shy away from it. Then came along the well-tempered clavier, a clavier basically a piano-type instrument. So what they'd done by that point was they'd worked out what was the best fit that a piano could then play in all the keys. And J.S. Bach produced the well-tempered clavier, which is a series of pieces in all the keys, just to show that this was now really possible and everything sounded nice. So there was a, the first piece in C major, the next one C minor, then C sharp major, C minor, all the way along. There are other systems of tuning available, and some of these are perceived to be slightly warmer and nicer, and it might be closer to what was used uh, back in the day. On a guitar, for example, the frets, which are the small metal bars on the neck, what these do is they shorten the length of the string to change the note. The twelfth fret is in the middle, and that is exactly in the middle of the string, it's an octave difference and because of the difference in the thickness of the strings the ratios of where you need to move the frets ideally would be slightly different for each note but it's very impractical to build that like almost every guitar in the world has straight frets although there are some which are called well-tempered guitars and they have wobbly frets and then there's fan frets where it looks like it fans out and this is the cake and this is done on guitars with and this is usually done on guitars, um, bass guitars with a high number of strings than normal. So they've got extremely thick strings on the bottom. So a guitars not perfectly in tune, it's the best guess. And what some people do is we use, they'll use. So the tuning is basically a most practical workaround. And for some guitarists, especially in country music, they might tune to a different tuning, uh, like an open chord, which has. So then you can then strum the guitar, and a chord will come out or what people will do is adjust some of the notes so that everything is generally a bit more in tune. On the G string fret 2 is an A note and it's quite often sharp so what people will do is often just detune that a little bit so the open string is a little bit flat, it's a little bit low but it means that along the rest of the string the notes will be more in tune. Also what you might do is if you're recording you might tune specifically to that key. Uh, I brought out an album of meditation music called Nightfall and I wrote a piece of music in each of the 12 minor keys so for some of the pieces I could hear the intonation like the tuning on some frets was a little bit off so what I do is just tune the guitar just for that specific note it might be just for the three strings so what I did was retune that bit of the guitar just to make sure those specific chords and phrases were perfectly in tune with the key bit perfectionist but it gets results So with flawed physical instruments, there's always going to be some discrepancy, but now, especially with digital pianos and things, you can get that absolutely perfect, but then sometimes it does seem to perceivably lose a bit of character and be a little bit cold. Although this might only be noticeable to really nerdy musicians. So these cultural references and... So when I was six and I started learning music, I was completely unaware of this, but it's just something that stuck with me and I've carried it through. So there are different forms of synesthesia. <laughs> so there's different forms of synesthesia, and some people ascribe various personality traits or colors to numbers days of the week. So numbers, for example, I'd consider some of them colored, but not all of them. So for me, one is black, two is blue, three is yellow, four is green, five is a red, six is black, seven is black, eight is a ready color, a bit similar to five, nine is purple, and zero is black and white. I also feel that some of the numbers are slightly more masculine and some are more feminine. So the rounder ones like three, six, eight, zero, I'd consider those a bit more feminine, and then one, four, and seven for me seem to be um, a bit more masculine, possibly five as well. A friend of mine had given me his number, and I remember thinking, yeah, that's quite a masculine number. Which makes no logical sense, but that's just uh, how I think. Days of the week as well. So for me, Monday is green, Tuesday is yellow, Wednesday is a red colour, Thursday is also yellow, but Tuesday is more of a buttery yellow, and Thursday is more of a sunshine, lemony yellow. Friday is, again, a ready orange, a bit like Wednesday, and then Saturday and Sunday are grey. Strangely, you think they'd be more colourful because it's the weekends, but it's just what it is. So, Saturday is a lighter grey and then Sunday is a bit more concrete, slightly darker grey. Another form involves numbers and spaces. Spatial sequence synesthesia. Those with spatial sequence synesthesia tend to see ordinary sequences as points in space. For example, some people see months as a spiral or a column. This also happens with letters, numbers and any other sequence. People with SSS may have superior memories, definitely not me, and in one study they were able to recall past events and memories far better and in far greater detail than those without the condition. They can also see months or dates in the space around them, but most synesthetes see these sequences in their mind's eye. Some people people see time like a clock above and around them. Well for me, I see the week going left to right, and numbers left to right, but the months of the year It's going diagonally down. It's a bit strange. So if you imagine a square, and in the top right-hand corner, there's January, and then coming diagonally left down, that would be southwest, is then February, and the months cascade down in that direction. I don't know why, but that's just how I see it. Most people with this, if you ask them, would you turn it off if you could? They probably wouldn't, because it's quite interesting. There is another form which is very strange, and that's called lexical gustatory synesthesia. That's mixing words and taste. So some people, when they hear words, they get a taste in the mouth. This can be very strange, because if someone said the word to you, mechanic, you might then have the taste of butter toast, which would be fine. Then if your friend, um, <clears throat> but if someone said, oh, can you set the table for tonight? Maybe the taste of table is an old sock. So it'd be very strange not wanting to hear the word table, because it tasted funny when you heard it. There's been some examples. Uh, there's one here. It was a study done in the 70s, and exactly 27 years later after the study, uh, the person was asked the same questions and it was with hundred percent consistency. And apparently these were largely correlated to foods that he'd eaten as a child and said he is around 10 times more likely to associate a word to the taste of chocolate than he would to the taste of something he experienced as an adult, such as beer or coffee. For example, when he hears a common word such as this he experiences the taste of bread soaked in tomato soup. That's not too bad. Time for a quick ad. Do you like free money, who doesn't? Sign up today for a free crypto.com debit card and you and I get $25 each. Also, you get between 1% and 8% cash back in crypto. Link in the show notes. With someone else here, interesting different parts of the words can be more tasteful than others. She said in an interview, if I took the word partake... The word tastes like fig newton and mashed potatoes at the same time. And it causes this weird shudder. It says, I can taste each part of the word separately to make this less jarring. Part, then swallow, then take, then swallow. I don't like those words. They're my least favourite type. I mean, that's crazy. There was a documentary on Channel 4 here in the UK, I think it was. It's called something like, my friend Derek tastes like earwax because this guy, when he heard the name Derek, he'd have the taste of earwax in his mouth, which would be quite unpleasant. And it might be the same guy. He was shown eating a meal and he said, I can't have any outside simulation because if I'm reading a paper or hearing the radio or the TV, those words are going to come into my head. And then I'll taste the words and it'll interfere with what I'm eating. That is Crazy there's been some research into why this happens and is it genetic Uh, it's been described as a cross wiring of the brain and some people have been scanned and different parts of the brain have lit up when um, they've been tasting or talking about things so interesting area of research so tasting words is a very explicit and definable thing but for most people it's either internal or external so if you perceive numbers and sounds as colors then it's actually quite rare for you to actually see them in front of you, although some people do. Most people, like myself, it's internal. So uh, when I'm listening to music, I see it in my mind's eye, and I prefer not to have colours waving around me. So if I was listening to music while I was driving, I wouldn't want everything (laughs) going across the windscreen. So when I'm writing music, I will consider the key from a physical point of view, like on the guitar. Some keys are easier to use open strings and certain harmonics, but also the colour. So if I was writing something based around a forest, B-flat would be good for me because then that's green, some brown, and possibly the key of F, because that's quite brown as well. For a dark and stormy C, that would be G minor, clearly, because very dark, dark blue, and there's some black in there as well. So I'll be referencing this next part on guitar, because it's my main instrument, and the one that I'm most proficient at. So for a guitar string, an electric guitar string, I see the sound, it looks very much like a cable, or just an electric guitar string, it's... Grey, white, sort of metal and thin. And so, for a clean guitar sound, that's one that's not processed, which sounds like this. I just see notes or cables and wires of metal. There's a song called "Slow Dancing in the Burning Room" by John Mayer, which is absolutely brilliant, and it's a very iconic guitar sound. But he's got a Fender Stratocaster, and it's just like a very rich, full sound on an electric guitar with a very unprocessed sound. So moving on from that, if the sound is distorted, then I see that guitar string, that long sound as getting a bit hairy and a bit fuzzy around the sides, and interestingly, a lower level of distortion on a pedal can be called a fuzz, and maybe people are instinctively calling it the right thing. So that does look like a fuzzy thing, and then for a fully distorted sound or heavy distortion, uh, like a chunky heavy metal rhythm guitar part like this. That now sounds to me like chunks of something like metal or blocks of wood. It's um, a very chunky sound and people do describe it as chunky or chugging which is onomatopoeia but it also describes it quite well because it's got a lot of meat and size behind it. Another thing you can do on a guitar is change the timbre of the note. On a piano you can hit the note softly or hard and if you hit it hard it has a bit more of a sharp attack to it but on a guitar, if you play towards the back of the guitar, then you get a more sharper piano-type sound on the strings. Um, and then if you move your hand closer towards the fretboards, you can get a more softer, rounded, a bit more bell-like. So on an acoustic guitar, this is mostly what you can do, and a classical guitar as well. Whereas on electric, you've got much more electronic uh, processing options available to you. I also consider whole genres of music to have their own colour as well, because they have their own... Sound profile, generally. Obviously, not all funk songs sound the same, but they generally have a similar guitar style, similar bass and drums, and that's what defines it as funk. So funk, for me, is a golden, darkish-yellow flavour or colour. The blues is blue. Jazz is generally green for me. Rock is red. Um, I wonder if that's slightly alliterated. And then heavy metal is a grey-black colour, but it can cross over with... The uh, the rock stuff So if something is a bit more rock It's a bit more colourful And generally This is a massive sweeping generalisation But If it's more rock bass You'll generally use a bit more minor chords It will generally sound a bit happier Whereas Heavy metal is generally using a bit more of the minor sounds Then Progressive music has lots of different colours in it um, A band like Dream Theater for example They've got their sort of signature chug sound And some, maybe some clean parts But There's lots of different textures and things they use as well And they have a keyboard player So gives it a bit more depth of space for me and some lighter pale blue colours. For a church choir music, that would generally be like a pale soft purple. Um, Something like a gypsy jazz or flamenco would be, again, a sort of like sandy yellow with some orange and brown. And I wonder if that's been prejudiced by the fact that it's Spain, obviously Um, some kind of desert yellowy flavours associated with that. And then the colour of the guitar as well, the wood. So hard to know which came first, chicken or the egg with that. So with each of these forms of music, I see the, the sounds dancing around in front of me. And it's a bit like, if you imagine a theatre and the stage is black and the performers are wearing black and then some of them come to life and the colours spark and if they're moving fast, the colours move faster. If they're jumping around bigger, then the colours move more. And it's a very organic thing. Whereas some electronic music for me Seems very programmed because Essentially it is Um, So with the notes and things I still Get moving lights but it's more like Either light Reflecting off a carriage clock and the light Is the lights are moving and bouncing But it's very rigid and there's no life There or it could be like A disco ball or some Lights from a stage Where they're twisting around and the lights are moving But there's no conscious or Organic element to those an interesting point is, say, if I'm playing some acoustic music, then for me that texture has the uh, woody, brown, yellow, sandy colours. But then if the song is in B minor, am I thinking of the woody colours or the green? Because that's B minor. And it's hard to answer that one. Uh, if I was concentrating on the notes or improvising, I'd be thinking in green mode, but then maybe other times I'm also thinking more along the woody colour because that's the texture of the sound. It's... um. Yeah, can't really answer that one. I've seen some beautiful artwork online. Uh it seems to be pastel oil colours. Um of people painting music. So for them it could be like this explosion like fountain fireworks thing. Uh and that's the piece of music that they've um taken the inspiration from and drawn. So for me, if I was to describe one, uh let's go for Slow Dancing in the Burning Room by John Mayer. Excellent song, um classic guitar tone, it's a Fender Strat. And I would see that as the kind of wire cables. There's not much in the arrangement, so it's generally like a black backdrop with some (laughs) wire cables stretched across. And it's in the key of C sharp minor, so there are notes like the yellow and the red. That doesn't really do the song justice, and I love hearing the song. It's beautifully written and very well performed. Um, But there's. It's a quiet, uh, sparser arrangement, so there's not as much in my picture, whereas there's a song with a lot going on, say like um, a scar band, and they have uh, like bass guitar drums, and then there's horns and vocals and things going around. It's a much more busy uh, picture in my mind. I also wonder if my perceptions are coloured by the artwork, and I'd be interested to hear if anyone else has this. So the Marshall Puppets album by Metallica has sort of like dark red, purple, black colour on the album, And so I partly see some of that colour in the songs as well. Uh, There's another one by Pagan's Minds, a Norwegian power metal band. Really, really good, like really progressive, um, fantastic vocals and guitar playing, great songs. And their album covers are generally white and blue. They're going for a Starship, Stargate kind of ethos with that and really cool stuff. And I have more of that colour around me or in my perception when I listen to that as well. And there's also the question of space as well. So, reverb, or reverberation to give it its full name, is basically the echo sound on music. If you record like this, just a vocal into a mic, uh, there's no echo around the room, and you can just hear the mic, and it sounds very up close. Whereas to make some things sound bigger, or like they're recorded in a bigger space, you'd add reverb. So, an album that sounds big, and there's lots of echo, and like crashing drums, you have that... um, Space. So with the Master Puppets album, just go back to that, what they deliberately did was not use any reverb because they wanted it to be really upfront, really in your face. So when I listen to that album and it was their intent, it feels much closer rather than like a bigger thing. So my picture for that, it's yeah, hairy, chunky guitars, um, quite close up. <laughs> Probably not James Hetfield's intention, but that's what I get from it. And when it comes to lead lines, so this could be a guitar solo or a violin solo or something like that, where it's single notes, I feel there is, it's like I'm watching a bird of prey or something swooping around, going up and down, and all the movement. And this would be uh, from a good player. Um, lots of people can play quite mechanically, so I'd get less of a vibe from that. But something that's, and we describe it as like really soaring, like soaring melodies, and it's like something like physically moving around. Then another aspect of the music I really appreciate, or I perceive is, and I get more into this in the songwriting, is the tightness of the performance. So if all the instruments are locked in together and the tempo is really solid and everyone is together on the beat, it feels very tight, and you describe that as tight in a musical situation. So for me, this some heavy metal stuff, it's like a finely tuned machine, I see like engine gears and uh, machinery turning over in my head when I listen to that. Whereas a band who are on a lot less uh, technically accomplished level, it's a bit like listening to... It, it's almost like a machine falling apart. I sometimes see, like, it's like a drunken pantomime horse where the parts are just not coordinated together. I kind of, Relatively speaking, they're stumbling around, so it doesn't have that precision. So for chords, they, they block out space for me. So if you imagine a biro, you just draw a line. That's like one note going across. But then if you... Taped five or six of them together, and then drew that across a page. You've got five parallel lines, and they move and create that space as they do it. So chords create the space, and then that's like a building block. But then the, the melody lines and the vocals are these moving, flying things on top of the whole structure. I'll dive more into this and talking more about songwriting, but it's quite an important thing because it creates a different picture and a different sound. So if you play two notes on the guitar, they clash and blend together in a certain way but then if you play those two notes separately and record them individually they're much more isolated they become their own entities so the first one is like uh, texture's a bit like scraping a brick along something <laughs> and then the second one I see them as like these little pearls hovering around like these um little birds or little high notes right up there they sound, or they look to me like little uh, UFOs and they're hovering around and they interact in a different way it's a bit like and this sounds really weird if you ever watched a fly and it's circling something and kind of holding its territory there and if another one comes along they kind of fight a bit and have this little dog fight and that is a bit like how I perceive those notes like this to be interacting with each other thanks for listening it got weird it's going to get a lot weirder you can find us hearing in colour on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube, where you can find pictures and links. If you like to earn money with no effort at all, simply by having your phone on, your data is being sold around the world anyway, and the Tapestry app helps you take a cut. Link in the show notes.